five minutes after 6 a.m. Good morning, everybody. My name is Nachum Siegel. Welcome to a Friday, Erev Shabbos. This is your Jewish Moments in the Morning radio program. Oh, 
Hey, I'm 
all No matter what the soldiers said Or how the rain would pour Lady always kept a smile And wiped the tears away Nothing could ever keep him down When he'd start to say It's Shabbos now Shabbos now And I will sing
JM in the AM. Good morning. It's 91.1 FM, 90.1 FM in the Catskills, Rockland County at 91.9 on the FM dial and around the world on the web, jmnam.org. 6.33, 27 minutes before 7 o'clock. Welcome to a Friday on this February 7th, day 7 in the month of Adar 1. Is today Zion Adar? I guess it's certainly Zion Adar 1. Uh, it's Arab Shabbos Parshas Titzaveh with candlelighting time at 5.01 on this Arab Shabbos. 5.01, your official candlelighting time. Getting later and later. Hard to believe, huh? 5.01 is candlelighting. Fr- Next Friday is Purim Katan. Yeah, if you're wondering if we're getting into some really great days coming up, the first of, uh, of a few, thank God, is a Purim Katan, which uh, is next Friday. If you're not familiar with that, consult with your uh, local rabbi. 24 degrees outside, 17 is the wind chill, 65% humidity, winds are west at 8 miles per hour. Sunny today with a high temperature of 31, then tonight, partly cloudy, low 16. Tomorrow, mostly cloudy, a high temperature of 32 degrees. Right now, 64 in Yerushalayim, 24 here in Jersey City as we say good morning at JM and the AM. The big news, of course, weather-wise, is what's going to happen Sunday so many different rumors regarding this uh, snowstorm that supposedly is heading to our area. Uh, I don't think anybody knows yet. <laughs> I, don't, I, don't think, I don't think there's anything definitive. I keep looking online at some of the different things. So for the weekend, it says here, sunny uh, over the weekend uh, with a 40% chance of precipitation. Snow shower likely, but it doesn't really give me any uh, analysis of the... Uh, accumulation, what we might have on the ground uh, once Sunday comes to an end. So I think yesterday I mentioned that there were two storms, and if the two of them come together, then it's a uh, you know major blizzard. Apparently the two of them will not meet over the northeast. That's uh, supposedly what's going on. So maybe a couple of inches of snow, but who knows. I guess we'll find out soon enough. Friday morning, Erev Shabbos. Don't forget. Oh, by the way, we did some music for you this morning. The... Um, the uh, eighth day group who is in from L.A., they're doing the West Side Institutional Synagogue concert tomorrow night. It's Shabbos now from Chasing Prophecy. You heard Benny Freeman with Shalom Aleichem. Ben Sion Schenker with some amazing classics. I love doing that once in a while. Back-to-back with Chadodi, Lo Sevoshi, Proke. You heard all those in there. And, of course, Regish, Modani opening things up, as we say Good morning. Shlomo Katz is next. We've got our weekly update. Malcolm Honline coming up just over an hour from now on our uh, on our radio show. Uh, news from Israel at 7 a.m. The uh, weekly update will be at 7.40. Uh, Rabbi Yudin will speak to us at 8.15. At 9 o'clock this morning, Naomi Nachman is doing her table for two show from her kitchen. And I mean her kitchen. Not her set, but her real kitchen. <laughs> uh, she's going to be on between 9 and 10. You'll be able to catch that both... Um, uh, both uh, on the audio stream at jmnam.org and on video when you go to nachomsegel.com. In fact, ZK told me to name it, to name the show uh, Table for Two Home Edition because it's literally in her home. So that's happening at 9 o'clock this morning, followed by an amazing day of incredible Arab Shabbos selections on our stream at jmnam.org. Shalom. Good evening, friends. Thank you so much for coming out tonight. Really warms our hearts to see so many beautiful faces, new and old. So let's have a lot of real holy fun tonight. Let's, can't think, think of a better term for that. 
At least that's, that's what we're having up here. So, we need your help for this one.
ברוכה ושמחה, אור ליהודים. יום שבתון יום מחמדים, שומרה וזוכריו הם המעידים, כי לשיש הכל ברורים ועומדים. שמי שמיים ארץ וימים, כל צבאם ארום גבוהים ורמים, תמים ואדם וחיית רמים, כי בישם צורון אבים, הוא אשר דיבר לעושה גולתו. שם עולקות שובבו ועצתו, שבת קודש, יום חמדתו, כי בו שבת אל מכל נכדו, במצוות שבת אל יחליצך, קוקרא אליו יחיש לארצך. נשמת כל חי בגן נריצח, אכול בשמחה כי כבר רצח, ובמשנה לחם וקידוש אבר, ברומת עמים ורוח נדירה, יזכו לרב טובה מתענגים. בביאת גורם ולחיי העולם הבא. נשמת כל חדר גם נעריץ 
One of the uh, only Shalshelis connection selection we didn't get to yesterday. I'm just kidding. We, there, there were a lot we left out, but uh, uh, but we really did a great dose, an amazing mix of uh, Shalshelis selections in the 8 o'clock hour yesterday with Yitzhak Rosenthal live in our studio. That's Anim Zmirot. Uh, Yoeli Greenfeld had Imesh Gachech, Menucha Vesimcha from Yitzchak Fuchs, Shlomo Katz with Yismechu. What an amazing selection on an Erev Shabbos. It's Friday on this Zion Adar Aleph. It's Erev Shabbos, Parshas Titzaveh, candle lighting at 5.01. Next Friday is Purim Katan. Malcolm Honline coming up with the weekly update and plenty more. This is America's one and only Jewish Moments in the Morning Radio program. Heard and listeners sponsored WFMU East Orange. WMFU Mount Hope, Rockland County at 91.9 on the FM dial. Around the world in the web, jmnam.org. We'll do our news from Israel, head into the 7 o'clock hour. Weekly update, as we said, about 7.40 or by unit at 8.15. And plenty more between now and 9 a.m. as we wrap up the week here at JMNAM. Gali Tzal, Israel Army Radio, 2 p.m. newscast for a Friday is next. Boker Tov from JMNAM. Gali Tzal, Asha Ashtayim, Kankar Midruven, in Ma Shekore Akshav. Halechima Besuria, Husga Hafsakat Esh Zmanit Ba'ir Khomes, Katavenu Jeki Khugi. Betom Shana Shel Matzor, Reza Hafsakat Esh Humanitarit Ba'ir Khomes, Kedel Afsher Leyoter Mimea Ezrachim Shelo Meuravim Bakravot, Lacet Beshalom El Chof Miftachim. ההסכם כולל נשים, ילדים עד גיל 15 וגברים מגיל 55 ומעלה. העיר העתיקה של חומס כבושה בידי המורדים, כ-2,500 גברים נותרו בה והם ימשיכו להיות קורבן למאמצי השחרור של כוחות המשטר. עימותים בהר הבית עם סיום תפילות יום השישי. כמה מאות צעירים ידעו אבנים לעבר שוטרים שהגיבו בפיצוץ רימוני הלם. אין נפגעים ושלושה מתפרעים נעצרו. כך דיווח כתבנו יותם ברגר. נאום ליברמן, שר החוץ מביע תמיכה במהלכים האמריקניים ומציג קו מתון יחסית. אני בעד הסדר בתנאי שלא נצא פראיירים כמו בהתנתקות. אני אומר תמיד, כשיש ויכוח בין... שלמות העם לשלמות הארץ, שלמות העם חשובה יותר. אני בעד הסדר, אני נגד להיות פראייר. ומספיק היינו כבר פראיירים בעבר. כשאנחנו מתעקשים על נושא של הסדרי ביטחון, זה בדיוק למנוע אותה מציאות מטורפת שנקלענו אליה. בכינוס בתל אביב הצהיר ליברמן כי ג'ון קרי הוא ידיד אמת של ישראל, ותקף בחריפות את השותף הקואליציוני נפתלי בנט בעקבות הביקורת שמתח על קרי ועל ניהול המשא ומתן. אני רואה אותו רץ למיקרופונים, אבל אני לא רואה אותו רץ לאופוזיציה. יש, אתה יודע, הבדל בין ההצהרות לכוונות. כל עוד טרקטורים או בולדוזרים לא עלו על קרקע ולא התחילו חס וחלילה שם לפנות יהודים, אני עוד לא רואה לא את בנט ולא אחרים שם קמים ופורשים. את הדברים הביא כתבנו אלדר גילרן. זעם באירופה בעקבות הדלפת הקלטת שיחת הטלפון בה נשמעת הדיפלומטית האמריקנית הבכירה ויקטוריה נולנד מקללת בבוטות את האיחוד האירופי. קנצלרית גרמניה אנגלה מרקל מסרה, הדברים בלתי מתקבלים לחלוטין. כך נשמעת נולנד בהקלטה שעלתה ליוטיוב, שם נטען כי הדברים נאמרו בשיחת טלפון בינה ובין שגריר ארצות הברית באוקראינה. בציטוט לשיחה ובהדלפתה. מזג האוויר עוד סוף שבוע ללא גשם, הערב עדיין קר מהרגיל, מחר תהיה עלייה בטמפרטורות. אלה החדשות שעורך אילי לוין.
J.M. in the A.M. Couple of amazing selections from one of the greats, Cantor Yitzchak Mayer, Health God, Ms. Marla David. Before that, Yismachu, off of the Eternal Echoes CD, done with the great Yitzchak Perlman. Uh, news from Israel before that, and it's a Friday here at JM and the AM on this Erev Shabbos Parshas Tetzaveh, candlelighting at 5.01. Thanks for joining us, folks. I uh, want to, uh, <laughs> I wish I can congratulate them. It came down to the wire, but unfortunately, Yeshiva College last night in an amazing basketball game against City College of New York came up just two points short. That had a chance to tie it at the end. It didn't work, but really great game. Wanted to, uh, Acknowledge Coach Halpert and the team and their efforts last evening. It was a lot of fun. I spent some time there. And then, of course, at the uh, Yeshiva Svarim Sale, the YU Svarim Sale, which is pretty amazing. What an unbelievable collection of works. i got to go back just to uh, re-examine all the things they have available in so many different departments. So I'm highly recommending it. And it was uh, wonderful being up there uh, last evening on campus for all the excitement uh, Friday morning with 24 degrees, sunshine and a high of 31. Everyone still seems to be unsure about what's going to happen Sunday weather-wise, but hey, we'll take it as it comes. Uh, 7.40 for the weekly update, or by Uden coming up at 8.15. Naomi Nachman live from her kitchen. A table for two home edition coming up at 9 o'clock. And it'll be available on audio at jmnam.org and, of course, on video at nachomsegel.com. So make sure to watch as Naomi... Uh, does her magic in the kitchen, her kitchen, believe it or not. She'll invite you in to see it and to uh, see the sights and hear the sounds of her cooking on a Friday morning. Should be very, very interesting. It is a Friday. J.M. in the A.M. at 16 after the hour. This comes from Ari Goldwag. <laughs>
JM in the AM. Yaakov Shweki Mimkomcha. That is a great selection. Uh, before that, Lenny Solomon, Schlockrock from a Shabbat in Liverpool with Curry Bone. You heard Ari Goldwagon there with Curry Bone, his classic here at JM and the Amateur of Shabbos Parshas Titzave with candle lighting at 5.01. Good morning, all. 24 degrees, sunshine, and a high temperature of 31. Lots of programming all weekend long on our stream at jmtheam.org. Executive Assistant Avrami will host Saturday Night Seagull tomorrow night starting at uh, 10 p.m. Eastern time on the stream. Uh, Yoni Corbman sent me a uh, an email, a celebratory email. Saturday Night Seagull, according to his calculation, which he began, of course, he was the first original host of Saturday Night Seagull and brought it to its uh, uh, initial uh, point of popularity, ha- turns five. Saturday Night Seagull turns five tomorrow night. Can you imagine? It's a uh, a great show. Avrami is doing a, a phenomenal job, and I want to uh, acknowledge Yoni Corbman and his role in uh, in founding the program on Saturday nights at 10 p.m. Eastern Time. In fact, it used to be earlier at certain points during the year. Uh, so it turns five tomorrow night, and uh, we say Mazal Tov. Uh, Matis has JM Sunday coming up at 7 a.m. Eastern Time on Sunday morning for a couple hours. A great way to start the day on Sunday. So make sure to be tuned in. Also want to thank our friends at Kedem who make sure to have an amazing Erev Shabbos music stream going all through the day, all the way until candle lighting time every single Friday. So as you are, uh, I don't know, shopping for Shabbos, getting together your uh, wine, challah, and gefilte fish, or if you're home preparing in the kitchen or anywhere else in the house or office, you make sure to have our stream on and enjoy all the great Erev Shabbos selections. You'll hear it at jmandam.org. And, of course, on any of our apps, the JM and the AM app, the Nahum Siegel Network app, all available to you. Don't forget to follow us on social media, Jewish Radio World with Nahum Siegel, Jewish Radio World with Nahum Siegel on Facebook, on Twitter at Nahum Siegel Net. Again, that's at Nahum Siegel Net. Candlelighting at 501, Malcolm Honeline, I believe from Israel, Coming up minutes from now, plenty more. Here's a leap on a Friday at JM in the AM.
Sam in the AM. Yosef Carduner with Adon Olam. Before that, Rai Baruch Chayden Company off of the CD entitled Awake. Lipa had Adon Kola Simcha off of his latest entitled The Hidden Spark. J.M. and A.M., it's a Friday morning on this era of Shabbos, Parshas, Titzava. Candle lighting is at 5.01. Malcolm Holine is in Israel, so we get to uh, check in with him uh, with him being in the Holy Land today, which is always extra special. He's uh, coming up in just a second with the weekly update. 24 degrees, sunshine, and a high temperature of 31. Reminder, Naomi Nachman and her Table for Two program is a Table for Two home edition today at 9 o'clock this morning at jmnam.org in audio form and on nachomsegel.com in video form. You can actually go into her kitchen as she invites everyone in for a live cooking show uh, in her own kitchen. No joke. <laughs> Not a set. Her real kitchen. So Naomi Nachman invites you from around the world to... Uh, Walk in and see what it's all about and uh, check out what she's making today uh, between 9 and 10 Eastern time on the stream at jmnam.org. And like I said, video will be up at nachomsegel.com so you can watch the entire proceeding. Uh, so make sure to check that out and enjoy. Um, reminder, our social media uh, outlets uh, on Facebook, Jewish Radio World with Nachum Siegel, Jewish Radio World with Nachum Siegel. Our Super Bowl halftime show has gotten us a tremendous amount of attention, a lot of new listeners out there, so I welcome all of you who are tuned in and have joined us over the last week or so uh, from different parts around the world. On Twitter, at Nahum Siegel Net. Again, that's uh, at Nahum Siegel Net on Twitter. Malcolm Honline is in Israel. Oh, and uh, a big thank you to our friends at the JewishWorldview.com who continue to enthusiastically recommend to their listeners, or I should say their readers, uh, our web stream at jmnam.org. It is much appreciated. If you want some amazing articles and great analysis of what's happening in this crazy world of ours, go to jewishworldview.com. You can be on that site for quite a while, reading up on everything that's happening. Malcolm Honline is in Jerusalem. He is Executive Vice Chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations and joins us with a weekly update. Mr. Honline, welcome back to JM in the AM. Good morning and good Arab Shabbos and almost Shabbos here. Is this one of those uh, conference trips? Because I know February always calls for a couple of uh, big group trips that include Israel, or is this simply a uh, a private journey to the Holy Land? No, this is uh, official business as always, and we have our mission in Israel that begins <coughs> and after our visit to Spain next week, which is uh, part of the mission that we take uh, the group there as we do every year to a, a different country, and then we convene in Israel during a very interesting time here. Oh, that's for sure. Which I'll is try. always true. Yeah, it's always true, <laughs> but, but this is especially interesting. It's 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 interesting to watch uh, political geniuses go at it. Everybody's got their own agenda. Everyone's handling it in the way that they've been trained to handle it in their political careers, and it's fascinating to watch it all come together. <laughs> Uh, I don't know if it's coming together, but it's fascinating <laughs> to watch. <laughs> I'll tell you. We'll get to that coming up. You know, here, and I, and I know, you know, we joke about whether we discuss local stuff or not, but obviously there's, uh, uh, there's some stories that are, um, uh, that are out there that are of concern to people. Yesterday, Michael Fragan was with us. He briefed us on the fact that the New York State Legislature, the Assembly specifically, is having trouble getting an anti-BDS bill to the floor. You know about the criticism that the mayor of New York has been under from certain sides regarding his uh, comments at an APAC meeting. Is there a certain atmosphere, Malcolm? Is something going on different 
than usual, or just some of these things are you know so public and have come so to the forefront that we're just noticing it more now? Is there any more reason to panic now than we ever did before? Well, I don't think there's any reason to panic. I do think, though, that there's a confluence of factors, and what I always say is in the show, when we discuss the wide range of issues that there there is a confluence of so many things of real consequence. It's not like there's only one issue. You have Iran with the nuclear program, which has vast consequence, the upheaval in the Middle East, the global campaign of delegitimization, the events in Syria, the 170,000 missiles facing Israel. There are so many issues of importance. There's no reason to panic or get handled them, but also, I think when you're dealing with issues of such sensitivity and such intensity as the peace negotiations and some of the exchanges that have taken place, people are not careful with what they say or they react emotionally and not intellectually, and that's very dangerous. You know, we have an old adage in Judaism that right. wise people are have to be careful with their words. Well, all people, and especially political leaders, and we, we saw it on both sides, the American side where you had the comments about warmongering and against the senators who were supporting the boycott legislation, uh, the, uh, not the boycott, the sanctions against the Iran legislation, um, or driving a path to war, or the secretary's comment about uh, boycott. He certainly doesn't support boycotts, and he was saying is that if things you know, break down, then Israel could face a boycott. And that was interpreted as saying, well, that's a legitimate response if, if things break. And they're not going to break because of Israel. Nobody said there'll be consequences for the Palestinians if because of their obstinacy the, the talks uh, don't don't progress. Uh, it may not have been the intent, but it was the perception and the fear that in Europe this would be taken as a license where you see increased efforts at boycotts. They are, they're not successful in the sense of, of having... Uh, a massive impact. They are harmful to to Israel and and create a momentum which is very dangerous. The, the BDS movement, boycott, divestment, and sanctions, the global campaign of delegitimization, are both very serious. And I've done many interviews here during the last couple of days to try and communicate why uh, the prime minister talks about the boycott with such seriousness and why the sensitivity to it. On the other hand comments by people here on a range of issues are and you know the apologies that follow it's it's really unseeming it's unnecessary and it's not productive you can express a difference of view you can even be angry but you don't use and and I uh, the kind of rhetoric and I don't believe you should personalize it yeah well w- which is worse the comments or the apologies or you'd like to get rid of both <laughs> i'd like to do it all that people in the first place you know, it respond in a constructive way, even when it's a criticism, and and you know express their view or their concern, which is a legitimate thing to do. Yeah. So, is it and, only the tone that bothers you? Is it only the way it comes well, across? Obviously, the substance at times. I mean, when the secretary made the remarks in that setting, I can see why people right. felt that that perception is created. I, I'm not I'm not diminishing the significance of the concern about it. I wish everybody would would be much more careful. I think calling senators warmongers uh, has a backlash effect. It doesn't help. But or, and the only one who benefits from this kind of division is the Iranians, who look at this and say, "Oh, you see, they're pitted against each other. We don't have to to worry." The uh, the Congress wants the same thing as the administration. The difference is the administration says 
you know, let us negotiate, and then we can enact it. And they say, look, let's enact it. Then you negotiate. We're not going to pass. We're not introducing new sanctions. Right. It's just that we're passing the bill that will empower them if the talks fail. And they say, if the, and the other side says if the talks fail, then we'll enact the, the uh, additional sanctions. Right. I understand that. But going back to Israel for a second, when Lieberman, for instance, comes out and, you know, and gives us his pro-carry statements, right, Politically, he's doing that for what reason? Whose favor is he looking for when he does that? Because you know anybody who, who who knows his positions when it comes to peace processes has got to be a little skeptical about his approach to this right now. Well, you're referring to a speech he gave today, right? In which he addressed um, uh, comments by uh, Naftali Bennett and right. by others that were critical of. Uh, Secretary's the secretary, but you know where they called him obsessive, et cetera. I think that was excessive. I think saying that they're concerned about the uh, one-sided pressure—it's a legitimate comment you can make, whether it's true or not. You know, the people can debate, and the secretary can answer it, and I think he's answered in strong terms, uh, and responding in part because the, the criticisms were personalized. Uh, the the impression, though, in, in that it's created in the world at large is that, that all the pressure and all the criticism is generally directed at Israel, although there are demands and stuff made on the Palestinians as well. But the world doesn't say we're going to threaten if this breaks down. And Kathy Ashton's comments, you know, because of the announcement of the additional housing, which is the same housing they announced already the two or three times in different phases of the approval process. So the the I think Lieberman is trying to carve out a position for himself. He's made a number of comments uh, lately, and these are not knee-jerk reaction comments. These are well-prepared and well-thought-out, and he's certainly a very shrewd and intelligent uh, man. So he's not doing this uh, uh, on an off-the-cuff basis. Right. Uh, basically, the Israeli media hates Naftali Bennett. You agree with that, right? I don't think everybody hates Naftali Bennett. I think he, you know, he's a smart guy. He's you don't think the media made more of this in Israel than it really should have been, especially because of the alleged the friction between him and Sarah Netanyahu and the prime minister, et cetera, et cetera. Well, well, that, that that's a you know that's a sport, daily sport here. Right. Uh, that's just normal course of events. So, I, I mean, I think look, he's out there. He's making comments all the time. He has challenged the prime minister. He, you know, so the headlines are often. I think pretty much uh, what one would expect. Right, so we could agree that if, that if certain other people in the Israeli government would have made similar statements, they may have been treated differently by the press. Well, yeah, because also it's not taken as seriously. I mean, he's a major player with a big party, and, uh, you know, obviously what he says counts. And if, if he enters a split <clears throat> because he is within the administration. Right. Um, and has a lot and, of seats. Yeah, and has a little more. Will you see him during this trip? Who's the he? Naftali Bennett. I have seen him several times, and I will see him again. And he's going to address us when the conference convenes uh, a week from Monday here. He doesn't. He everybody does, else. He doesn't ask you for advice on whether he should tone things down, does he? Uh, I don't discuss my private conversations, but I will say that this is an issue I've raised with many people. <laughs> All right. Um, could, could you explain what happened? The suicide bomber blew himself up at the gates of a Syrian prison Thursday. This is a Syrian rebel attempt to do what? Well, for one thing, they were trying to free prisoners, and they did succeed in freeing a, a bunch of prisoners. Uh, the fact that they you know, carry out the attack in, the, in a, a part of Damascus, even if a 
sort of suburb or semi-suburb of Damascus is always significant because that's, you know, the critical test for, for Assad. Right, you've said but, that for a long time. Pardon me? You've said that for a long time, kept our focus right, exactly. on that, right? And I think uh, um, uh, that, that it's, again, a further demonstration. And when you've had now the barrel bombs dropped by the Assad regime, you've had a series of terrorist attacks. You know, that during the five days or so that they were in Geneva, 1,900 people were killed. And, you know, children are being killed. 11,000 children have been killed in Syria in amongst the 130 or 1,000 or more. Millions and millions of refugees, people homeless within Syria and outside of Syria. And the, um, and the rebel groups now are fighting each other. You saw that al-Qaeda delisted or disassociated from the, uh, the al-Qaeda group in, in Syria. Uh, so there are internal rivalries that are still going on and fights about, uh, you know, the, the role of each, uh, of each of the groups. And inside, it seems, uh, successfully stalled off the uh, Geneva talks. There's nobody who thinks right now that you're going to have regime change. Right. And they sort of ended it in a deadlock at the uh, at the moment, but that doesn't mean things aren't happening. There's still weapons flowing into to Syria, and, the, um, and I think that uh, most analysis is that they have uh, blocked at least the immediacy of, of any development in, in Geneva, and everybody can walk away saying, well, it didn't collapse, they didn't kill each other. They're, the fact is, nothing was accomplished. At the same time, we see that they're not removing the chemical weapons, as they had promised, that only 5% were taken out, and the most serious ones are being stockpiled still in Syria. <clears throat> they, they will play this game and re-promise and re-give and re-give the same thing over and over again that they gave in terms of... Um, uh, getting rid of the uh, the chemical weapons. I have not asked you this in a couple of months. Is there now tangible support from the U.S. or Israel for the Syrian rebels, whether it's militarily, financially, I don't know, even politically? How would you characterize support that they're getting or not getting from the U.S.? The U.S. gives uh, some weapons to the rebel groups. There are a lot of people who have questions about that and who gets it and what they do with it. Uh, they have huge warehouses of weapons. Uh, but it falls under different groups. Uh, so Israel, uh, I would say, is not involved. They are involved in a humanitarian basis, which is quite fascinating, but uh, uh, in aiding the refugees in Jordan and even in Syria itself, but and with the hospitals they've set up, but I, they certainly are not providing weapons or guidance to terror, the, the uh, rebel groups because most of them would pose an equal danger to Israel. And you're... Uh... I mean, based on what you just said a couple of minutes ago, you're uh, convinced there ain't no regime change there for quite a while. It's not. It's unrealistic to think that it's going to happen in the near future. Absolutely, unless somebody kills him. Um, and look, he, he's blocking food and medicine to, to some of the worst hit areas. They supposedly were letting some civilians leave home, and they say they're not letting him leave the, the area. Uh, one of the interesting things I thought this week in, in regard to it, which I've well, we've talked about a lot, and I've tried to raise the, the flag about for a long time, and that's the thousands of, of foreigners, tens of thousands of foreigners, but thousands with European and American passports who are now fighting and becoming jihadists. Saudi Arabia, from which a large number of young people went and volunteered to fight in, in Syria, now they're cracking down, and 
and um, they say there's uh, between one and two thousand twenty-year-olds or twenty-somethings who are fighting in in Syria and Saudi Arabia, recognizing the danger of what happens when they come back, right. is is trying to stop it. And frankly, I think everybody else better be waking up to this reality. Another domino effect, huh? It's unbelievable. Exactly. America's one and only Jewish moments in the morning radio program heard and listener sponsored WFMU East Orange, WMFU Mount Hope. Rockland County at 91.9 on the FM dial, around the world on the web, jmnam.org. Malcolm Holmline is with us. He's in Israel, a typical February for him, where he checks in from different countries on Friday. It's always a big travel month for him in the Conference of Presidents. Uh, the terror plot against the Yushalayim wedding hall, I mean, obviously you're there, so maybe you know more details about uh, how they try to do this. But, uh, again, this is uh, yet more evidence that the enemy is always out there trying to plot and it's not just missiles from Gaza. It's also potential bombs, God forbid, in you know in, in major areas like Yerushalayim. Even though we see this headline, it's going on on a daily basis, right? There, there is uh, constantly attacks. You saw the statistics that showed that there was an increase, and not in the number of killed, thank God, but in the number of attacks from uh, West Bank areas coming, whether Hamas or from uh, from uh, Fatah sources that uh, shows that there is an ongoing uh, uh, challenge, and the response is effective because they're there on the ground. And it underscores, again, why Israel is so uh, insistent on the Jordan Valley and others, why they can't, A, rely on others, and B, why it's really essential that they have uh, troops there because of the intelligence can't be substituted by drones or by even electronic eavesdropping or other things, all of which are important and components of it, but uh, but but the essential thing is to be able to be on the ground so that you can uncover these kind of plots. They are ongoing and they're not likely to be diminished. What is the who did I see this week was proposed uh, to um, uh, uh, have a military presence along the Jordan Valley? It was not the UN, was it? No, we talked about the Abbas suggested that NATO. Oh, NATO, right? With U.S. participation, right. but Israel long ago said that, learned a lesson that when you put foreign troops not their own, uh, foreign troops along the border, they're fine as long as everything is quiet. Once there's fighting, they take off and they run. And we remember in the Philadelphia route, the Europeans who were supposed to be there, as soon as there was a real challenge, they were nowhere to be found, and they took off and nobody saw them again. Uh, so the, the record in this regard of, of foreign troops is, is not good. The Lebanon border, elsewhere, did, did not work. So the, the argument... Therefore, it is that Israel has to have its own people there along the border. And Abbas countered with a proposal that for an interim period they would let NATO forces. Right. Uh, if NATO was on the Gaza border, would there be less missiles and rockets? Um, <laughs> I, I, I tell you the truth. I, first of all, it depends on which side of the border they were on. The likelihood is they would be on the Israeli side because they're not going to put themselves on the Gaza side. Yeah, I asked it a little bit. I, I, I asked it somewhat facetiously, but I uh, know you did. Right. The, but, po- the but point. I, I'm afraid that people listening won't understand that, yeah, that's and we'll start saying maybe we should put troops you know, along the Gaza border. I mean, remember there is it. You know, you do have the multilateral, the multi-force in Sinai, which has generally done a pretty good job. And the reason is, if you could break that down simply, it worked there because they are the exception because. Because the Egyptian government was cooperating, and because they, you know, the United States and Israel, there wasn't a uh, a real challenge uh, to their presence, and their role is, is more limited. 
Um, and, and people should view it as a real exception because it would, what you just described would not, it would, that formula wouldn't work on the other borders you mentioned earlier. It's right. Um, is there a, ch- I mean, if I read the Times article this morning uh, correctly and on a Friday, I'm so bleary eyed, I'm not sure I did, but it said there's a potential now for the next leader of Afghanistan to be a real Al-Qaeda-nik, as we would say, or Al-Qaeda-nik? Is that, I mean, there are, are there well, elections? facing an election and, uh, there is a possibility that, that the candidate would be, uh, somebody who has certainly ties and, and, uh, and running and as we, such? And we, and we remember that Al-Qaeda came out of, of Pakistan right. and came into Afghanistan. So they, they have a, a, you know, deep roots there and, and uh, frankly the situation is deteriorating there as in Iraq and we have the withdrawal of American troops coming. And neither situation is one that people can point to and say these were great successes given what what is developing. And Karzai certainly has taken very hostile positions towards the United States, uh, which is very unfortunate, but, you know, is the way we're rewarded for spending trillions of dollars. Right, but if leadership would transfer to someone like the candidate they're writing about, it would be even yeah, worse, it, correct? It'll be much worse. So, of course, it's very serious. And, you know, Afghanistan is an important place. It's not the most important, but it's certainly significant. And... Another option is that Iran extends its influence even more inside Afghanistan. Uh, we know that they've used it as a transit point, and some of the leadership, when they thought that Iran was going to be invaded, you know, took off into Afghanistan. So it, it has, a, you know, more significance than some people would attribute to Afghanistan in and of itself. Uh on Capitol Hill, you mentioned Senator Mendendez last week, and you've discussed in general how he's been out there uh, in regard to the sanctions on Iran. He's still as strong, right? His speech this week was was as strong as ever you would char- characterize it or not? The speech by? Menendez, in terms of um, a sanctions. Okay, against- the, on the bill. The, his speech was very strong. He, The the Republicans in the, in the Senate are urging that the legislation go forward. I think that they are offended by the characterization that in any way their legislation was to drive toward, they would say that the opposite, that it's driving to peace, that the le- additional leverage and pressure on the Iranians will make them take the negotiations more seriously. We see the, the plane loads of, uh, of Europeans going to, to Iran and the reports of the erosion and the undermining of the effectiveness of the sanctions, and the United States has, has expressed concern and warnings, but, uh, you know, the Europeans are running there, and you don't hear Kathy Ashton, who never misses a chance to criticize or threaten Israel, um, really taking a stand. And I, I saw that a German official talked about the Italians going, and a British official said that he was on a plane and it was full of German businessmen going. And well, but, well, but in essence, you have the, the breakdown when the petrochemical alliance, initially because of now they're allowed to ship uh, oil and, and uh, being able to trade in gold, which enables them to, to buy the gold in oil, uh, to buy oil with gold, and therefore don't even go through the banks that are still sanctioned. So, I think that they look at this and say, "Look, the additional sanctions are important, and they're pressing Harry Reid, right. uh, the leader of the Senate, to schedule it. He is not inclined to do so. And the administration president said he would veto it. And right now, we only have 59, so that's not a override of a veto. Although the number who will vote for it will be higher." I, I think it's unfortunate if this ends up pitting the Congress and the White House against each other because, the, you know, the, the Iranians just smile at this and, and benefit. And the, the important thing right now is to, that the message be very clear. 
I had one action. As I told many times, I would prefer to see them move an aircraft carrier that right. they took out of the Persian Gulf back. I think we have to send stronger and stronger message. The United States is going after some of the companies and has sent um, messages that Iran is not open for business. Wendy Sherman may testify to this. But the question is, how do the, how do the others perceive what's happening? Zarif says the foreign minister of Iran uh, challenges the United States the, the, um, uh, and, and says that they, they're not going to dismantle anything, that they're going to keep everything in place. We're not going to give up any major parts of our nuclear program. The, the head of the Atomic Energy Organization in Iran says it will take them uh, uh, hours to, to go back to where they were and that they're increasing more at 5% than they ever did because of the decrease at 20%, but that they're, they're developing the more advanced uh, centrifuges, so they're challenging everybody about it. And, and they say, you know, that on the Iraq nu- uh, reactor, which is a plutonium one, that they're negotiating downgrading it, but they're not going to take out the major installations where you have tens of thousands of centrifuges that are still there and still spinning away. And I think um, it's it's the basis for the concern being escalated that those in the region and those outside the region are saying, look, look at the reality. Right. Uh, we, we, we've given them <laughs> the benefit. They've reaped some billions of dollars, even though we haven't released, obviously, the funds and a lot of the funds that were were supposed to have been given. The foreign minister denies, you know, it says something for once positive about, uh, or constructive, rather, that the Holocaust shouldn't have happened, and then he completely rejects it and says he never said it, <laughs> he didn't mean it. You know, it, it just tells you that, that there's, this is the, 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 the sham that this is somehow a more moderate regime right but exposed all the time malcolm Holmline live in israel but if i could just get back to the political end of it for a second so so apac and the pro-israel community let's put it that way not to single out apac they look at the situation in washington and and i i guess the issue is that we know the president of the united states is trying to ease up on all this more diplomacy etc we discussed this in regard to the state of the union and on the other side uh, you know, the, the, the reality is that, that those who care about Israel generally, again, you know, we, we know, we know a lot of people out there care about Israel. But you know what I'm saying, that generally they want to see stronger sanctions and like you said, you know, symbolic, at least symbolic, if not further type of action in the Middle East. So this, uh, so apparently this puts the pro-Israel community in Washington, let's use that term, in, in a difficult situation. So I ask you, from a point of analysis, is there a reason to let up as people write about whether APAC should or if they in reality are you know, letting up on this effort because they see how things are going with the president and Congress, is that a legitimate approach? Would you, if you were advising you know, people who fight for Israel and Washington, say anything other than keep the pressure going? I do advise people in Washington about what to do. Well, that's what I'm saying. We're very much involved in it. The answer is that I think, uh, by the way, I, I just got a message earlier that APAC, in fact, is pulling back and saying that this is not the time to go ahead with the legislation. Uh, I think that, you know, we have to, again... No, do you think that's a mistake or not? I think that getting ourselves in this position is a mistake, but it wasn't It wasn't the Jewish community, it wasn't APAC that drove the legislation. Right. It was the senators, and it was Menendez. Understood. And, so Americans and, and who care... And Chuck Schumer, to his credit. Right. And, so, um, and so, they were doing it 
Understood. Not because of political motivation. Understood. But now the and re- I think it's bad for the Jewish community to get caught. I understand. Know, for- but now with the with the pro-Israel community, with Americans who care about Israel watching this situation closely, and you just named some of the names who are in that leadership role, is it legitimate or not to come up with and execute a strategy of holding back a bit, of pulling back a bit? Is there any reason for that? Or would you encourage or hope? that the pro-Israel community in the United States, Jewish or not, would continue to pressure at the same level? I think we have to support the senators who, who, who are standing up on this issue, but I do think that we could have fashioned this, and I did suggest it, in a way that we, we don't want to see uh, an exercise of a veto, because that sends the wrong message. We don't want to see congressmen forced to have to make choices between let's say, what they think is the concern of the Jewish community or, or their position in Iran and, and the president. So I think backing that anything that says, look, let's give it a chance, we're not going to enact the legislation anyway now, it wasn't going to be enacted for six months, that that is a viable option. But I think the senators are saying, look, we need to send this message now to Iran. They, they are taking advantage of the opportunities that have been given to them, and uh, and we need to have this passage of the of the legislation so they understand what they face if they continue to obfuscate. All right. All right. Uh, does Israel need a new president? Is uh, President Paris's term coming to a close? Because I see that uh, Professor Schechtman, the Nobel Prize laureate, is already launching his campaign to be president of Israel. Uh, yes, his term ends. It's his second five-year term. He's not eligible for another term, even though there's some people who think that they might... Well, I do not think that's the case. I think he's... Well, is there a precedent for that anywhere? Of a Jewish politician getting a third term through some so through some deal? Could you think of any time that ever happened before? <laughs> Recently, in, in memory, yes. And <laughs> So you think they're going to pull a Bloomberg in Israel? Uh, no, because he doesn't, he doesn't have the resources. But no, <laughs> he's, look, he's, ni- he's over 90 years old. He is frail. I think he he recognizes it. I don't think he, he's going to stand. You have many candidates. Sylvan Shalom, supposedly, is a candidate. Ruby Rivlin has long been a candidate. Shechtman just put his name in. There are people talking about Sharansky. There are people talking about Donnie Itzik. Uh, there are many candidates. It's a great job. You get that beautiful house. You know, you, you work as hard as you want to. You have a shul on premise, too, so it's a right. really nice arrangement. Um, so th- there's a lot of competition for the job. I do not think that Paris will stand again in in the summer. The vote, though, takes place in the Knesset. It's not a popular vote. The Knesset members are the ones who elect the president. And the polls show that the people would like it to be a popular vote and that they would have a say in uh, who gets the position. If it was a popular vote, do you think Sharetsky would win it? Sharetsky doesn't have a big political base, but he has tremendous respect. You know, he's symbolically that would be so cool if he was president. A a very significant uh, uh, statement, but uh, the others also haven't really run, uh, you know, nationwide campaigns. It's it's probably not easy to get a broad-based support. So Sharansky offers um, a good platform and basis, given his personal history and, and the respect that he's earned. Could you imagine? If his career closed with being president of Israel after everything, that would well, be unbelievable. Have to close with it. It's only ten years. You know, two five-year terms. He could. He's still going to have a lot more left his career till he gets to be ninety, like Paris. Hey, there are precedents, Malcolm. <laughs> there are precedents for the extermination of term limits. Come on. 
<laughs> yeah, well, that's true. But uh, I think anybody 10 years as president probably is enough. It's interesting to watch how critical, and this, you know, I don't know if you already spoke to him or will be speaking to BB, but it is so interesting to watch how desperate Israel looks to keep close ties to Turkey. You know, there are some countries that would have just thrown up their hands already at this point and said it's just not worth dealing with uh, uh, with Turkey, especially because they're, they seem so untrustworthy. And Israel just keeps going after them, sort of begging them to become a real, uh, you know, a peaceful partner with them. Well, I don't think they're begging them. Turkey is a critical country in the in Middle East, and given especially the turmoil. No one knows what the future will be there. You know, they face an election, too, and Erdogan has a lot of domestic opposition. We saw the big demonstrations. For it, What Israel is doing is taking away the pretext from Turkey that the Mami Mamara business, uh, Mami Mamara uh, compensation, and they've offered them, there were reports of 20 million, 10 million, nobody knows exactly the amounts that were being offered uh, at this point. Uh, but I think what, what Israel's trying to do is to remove this irritant to the trade between Turkey and Israel is, has doubled in the last year. There are, uh, I don't know, so many flights of, of Turkish air back and forth from Israel every week. Uh, so the tourism has picked up again, and the, the exchanges on a personal level amongst the populace. Um, and, you know, the hope is that there will be changes in Turkey that will enable them then to have uh, positive relations. It would be very important, especially as they move towards a Mediterranean uh, alliance, let's say, with Greece, with uh, Cyprus, with uh, Turkey, with other countries being part of it. So the you know Turkey is a, is an important player. It's a, one of the keystones in the Middle East, and I think that's why Israel keeps trying to hold the door open. But I wouldn't say they're pursuing them. And the uh, the uh, now I'm going to sound silly. I just can't remember it. The uh, the conference that um, was it Syria or Iran that was advi- uh, uh, not Geneva. Yes, Geneva. Was it Geneva? For Syria. For Syria? The Syrian talks in Geneva. The Iranian talks in Geneva. Who was the sh- who was the shock that was invited to that? Was there a surprise that who was invited to that conference? Or am I thinking of a of a Durban type conference? I'm trying to think now. Okay, I know. No, well, we had the Davos <laughs> conference where Rouhani was feted, where he was the, probably the most uh, sought after person. People tell me he got a huge audience uh, when he spoke. Uh, some of the Israelis, by the way. Uh, participated and attended the session, didn't walk out when, when he spoke. Um, then you have Geneva 1, which is the Iranian talks, and Geneva 2. The ah, so that's what it was, Geneva Conference including Syria. That was the surprise, right? No, the, the including Iran. That, that was the debate, and Iran was not invited. America invited uh, the Secretary General extended invitation. America objected. They withdrew the invitation. Now the talk is that Syria, that Iran may be invited to a seat at the at the next round of uh, ah, of talks. So I'm sorry I'm doing this for you. So it was getting Ge- a lot of odds. So so it was the Geneva <laughs> conference about Syria, and the right. outrage was that Iran was invited to participate. Right. And ah. the, the Secretary General had it back down. I knew by the end of the week I'd get it. <laughs> <laughs> hey, listen, you're entitled. Thank God. Um, by the way, did you know there was an Amnesty International concert? In Brooklyn, New York, this past Wednesday night, and I would bet you, knowing who performed, that there were a lot of members of our community there. Now, I don't know what your feeling is, but do you know that Amnesty International has not always been the friendliest Israel? You know that. I would certainly say that 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 was true, that they have not always been very friendly, and they do not go after some of the 
bad guys that they should be focused on. I'm not calling. Not I'm not calling for boycotts, but people got to think sometimes before they, you know, decide to buy a ticket somewhere. You want to see good music? Go to Paul Anka at the end of July in Israel. I'm sure you heard that he's coming to the uh, Holy Land again. Yes, he is. So there you go. Others are, are coming here too. And by the way, you know, we, we've seen the rockets this week uh, again for those who who follow and then and are telling Israel what to do. To look at what three three rockets uh, just yesterday, two hit in Ashkelon, and the Air Force hit back at some of the storage sites. Um, but I think you know it, it's a reminder that these forces are are in there trying to undermine now in Gaza. They're making more of the rockets themselves. Um, the the uh, you have uh, the Al Qaeda presence growing, and even by Al Qaeda's own admission that they were down. To the tens in, in after 9/11, they're now in the tens of thousands, and they said even entire armies now are affiliated uh, uh, with them. So the and the, the the growth in the Sinai, which Egyptian government is is doing much more about in conjunction with the 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 government of Israel, the hundreds of terrorist groups you have operating in in Syria itself. So the. You know, people should be careful in offering blind and easy, you know, suggestions about what the security arrangements and why is Israel so insistent about the Jordan Valley. There's really good reason for it, and people should be prepared to explain it and to argue for it and to to make the case about what, what is uh, the the Egyptian government. You saw their statements about their daily fight in in, in the Sinai against the attacks on their soldiers and their police, and they say there's daily execution. So when they're required to have this uh, strong response, it's justified because that's the the, the, the future of the signing, the instability that we get in other Somalia, or do they actually um, rein them in? And the other thing is, you know, it, it, when you talked about uh, amnesty, well, where's the outcry about the fact that executions of political prisoners in Iran has shot up under Rouhani? And scores of them, 50 in the time since the negotiations took place. And... Hello? Malcolm, you there? Oh, boy. Looks like we lost them. Um, let's see if we can reconnect, because I'd like I'd like to hear that final statement regarding Amnesty International. J.M. in the A.M. on a Friday morning. On this 7th of February and the 7th day of Adar 1, we'll take this quick break. Hopefully, final words from Malcolm Holmline from Jerusalem at JM in the AM. Nothing wrong with uh, some great Benzion Schenker selections, but I think we have Malcolm Holmline back from Jerusalem. Malcolm, are you there? I never want to compete with Ben Sanchez. <laughs> well, in this case, I'm giving you the opportunity. Um, you were just mentioning about Amnesty International and some of the things you'd like them to notice. 
yes, that the, the number of executions in Iran is skyrocketing since Rouhani has took over, and especially since the negotiations with Iran, 50 people have been publicly executed. They, they, he just sentenced to death a poet. He went out to one of the regions, outlying regions, and, and signed the papers to execute a number of the, of the political activists, anybody that he perceives as you know, trying to assert local cultural identity, etc. And you see no outcry. I don't see uh, uh, Amnesty International carrying out demonstrations and condemnations and doing the things that they do in other instances. And Rouhani keeps getting a pass. And they can say whatever they want and do whatever they want. The, the violations of human rights, the, the kind of behavior that they've engaged in. And there's no price. Yeah. Maybe they'll say they don't know about it. Maybe we should start sending them notices well, about everything going on. They should listen. They better listen to the show, and they'll find out a lot more about uh, about that. But fourteen human rights activists put to death. Isn't that what Amnesty is supposed to be be addressing? I would think so. By the way, just tying up some of last week's stuff as I as I close things out and wish you a Shabbat Shalom. Uh, Oxfam says they're not pro BDS. Yes, they they aren't, but they said that it was incongruous for for uh, Johansson to continue as a spokesperson for right. uh, SodaStream and work with them. There is nothing incongruous about it except their response to it. And I think the the um, you know just highlighted the BDS movement and maybe even inspired. And hopefully, SodaStream sales will not be hurt, and people should go out and reinforce it by buying their their products. Um, but, they, you know, they have factories all over the world. They have one in Mala Dumi. Right. And exactly. it, it's interesting because I, I had given a statistic, I think, on the show about the number of Palestinians who work there. But And it, it is something in the neighborhood of 400. But there are another 400 or 500 Israeli Arabs working there. Right. So the majority of the employees are Arabs in that, in that plant who get equal pay and equal rights. And they're protesting these things because they don't they don't want to lose their jobs and good income right well that says it all uh malcolm enjoy jerusalem and have a shabbat shalom there he is malcolm online executive vice chairman of the conference of presidents of major american jewish organizations weekly update every week seven forty eastern time here at jm in the a.m this time each and every friday every erev shabbos with great pleasure we present rabbi benjamin Newton spiritual leader of Congregation Shomrei Torah in Fairlawn, New Jersey, to address the entire listening audience concerning the Torah portion of the week. Good morning, Rabbi Yudin. Good morning, Nachum, good Erev Shabbos, everybody. Tomorrow we have the privilege of reading Parshas Titzavah. Parshas Titzavah, according to the Chinuch, contains seven mitzvos, including the Torah devotes 43 psukim, of this parsha to the big day Kohen, to the special garments, the four garments that a regular Kohen wore, and the additional four garments which contained gold that was worn by the Kohen Gadol. Interestingly, the rabbis note that this parsha begins with the Atotetzaveh, God speaking to Moshe that he should command the Jewish people to bring the oil for the lighting of the menorah. And Moshe's name is conspicuously missed, not only from the beginning of the parsha, but from the entire parsha. And the um, 
Balaturim and others note that it's not coincidental that today happens to be Zion Ador. Today is the birthday of Moshe Rabbeinu and Moshe Rabbeinu's yard site. And Moshe, in next week's parsha, says to Hashem, in his incredible loyalty and devotion to the Jewish people, after they are having sinned with the golden calf, Hashem is angry at the Jewish people, threatens to literally destroy them and make a nation out of Moshe. And rather than say to Hashem, okay, that's a good idea, Moshe says just the opposite. If Hashem does not forgive the Jewish people, then literally blot out my name from your book. I'm out. And therefore, even though Moshe's very strong statement was said on condition, still the words of the righteous are taken with such seriousness before God that his prophecy that his name should be omitted came true in this parsha, the parsha of Tetzaveh, which often coincides with his yard site as with this year. I'd like to share with you a fascinating medrash brought by the Yalkut Me'am Loez at the very beginning of the parsha which to a certain extent parallels, interestingly, in the context of the menorah, the opening Tanchuma of Parshas Baaloscha. We know that the menorah comes right after the Torah enumerates at the end of Naso the gift that was brought by each of the princes of the tribes at the time of the dedication of the Mishkan, the sanctuary in the desert. And the Tanchuma explains what's the connection that Aaron was troubled that he was not included in bringing an offering. And God says to him, what you have with the menorah which the Ramban explains refers to Hanukkah, is even of a greater significance than that which the princes brought. Here too, the Midrash tells us the juxtaposition of the lighting and bringing of the special oil for the menorah. God is speaking to Moshe, and regarding you, Moshe, who was troubled that you, Moshe, have not personally contributed to the Mishkan, don't think that your status has in any way been diminished by this, just the opposite. Rather, your role is much more significant more than all who have contributed. Why? 
Sha'al Yadukha Vivim Hain. Because you are the cause that they are the ones that are contributing, and the Midrash cites Godol Hamiaseh Yoser Minha Oseh, which means literally that the one who causes the performance of a good deed, in this case here, the donation to the sanctuary, the one who brings it about, his deed is considered greater than the one who actually performed it, the one who actually gave the donations. Why? As Rabbi El-Azhar explains this teaching in Baba Basra, Daftes, because often much effort has to be expended to convince others to assist in charitable works. It's fascinating to note that Rav Yaakov Emden, in his commentary to the Gemara Baba Basra, states that the reason for this is, and I apologize, but this is fact, that oftentimes the trouble, and more important, the elbonos, the humiliation, that bizionos, the unfortunate kind of response that one encounters in trying to get others to contribute, this is more challenging to the individual than any loss of their money. The one who gives, he made a sacrifice. He gave of his money. The one who caused him to give oftentimes has a greater sacrifice because of the humiliation that he suffers in the process. And that's as the Mishnah teaches us in the fifth chapter of Avos, Lufum Tsara Agra, literally commensurate with the pain is, quote, the gain. And therefore, in this case here, Godol HaMe'aseh, greater is the accomplishment of the one who facilitates, encourages, and persuades others to do the act, oftentimes, than the one who actually performed it. And, interestingly, in order to understand this, we need to look at the Gemara in Bavabasra 9b. There the Gemara says as follows, If one literally gives a donation, even a small donation, to a poor person, they receive six blessings from on high. But the one who appeases him gives the poor person encouragement and tries to give him a sense of self-worth. He's blessed with 
11 blessings, more than the one who actually just gives the donation. Why? Because the person who comes and asks for charity themselves, oftentimes he needs much more than just the physical help. He has oftentimes been broken emotionally, psychologically. He feels a sense of lack of fulfillment, that he is dependent on others, that he can't support himself and his family independently, and therefore he needs more than just monetary assistance. He needs an incredible idud, an incredible kind of uplift of trying to raise him. And therefore, one who does this kind of personal injection of dignity to the poor merits these 11 blessings. Now, the unfortunate flip side of this is the individual who is trying to persuade others to give. The late Rabbi Cheskel Abramsky said that when he had to knock on doors, he was petrified by the response that oftentimes he would get. Unfortunately, how often it is, a child will come to the door when the father knows that it is what we call a meshulach, somebody who is there collecting either for themselves or for an institution. And the father teaches the child, tell them that your father is not home. Tell them that your father is not available. Just look at the terrible chinuch. Just look at the terrible kind of education that the parent is giving the child not only to lie but to hide from charity and I couldn't say this if it wasn't true but unfortunately when Rav Kook Zechetzadik Levracha of Rehovot went around collecting and they didn't recognize him. But that makes no difference. And somebody sent down a donation, only they sent it down not with their child. They put it in the mouth of the dog to give it to the man at the door. Um, There are no words. As Rav Yaakov Emden says at times, the bizionos, the humiliation that one has to go through in order to get others to fulfill the mitzvah. And the idea behind this is for all of us to realize just the opposite, that yoser mimash balabayis oseh imaoni, more than what the donor gives the poor person ha'oni oseh imbalabayas does the poor person actually do for 
the one who is the donor. The poor person transforms the donor into a giver, makes him into better character. And this is such a powerful lesson of Godol HaMi'aser Yoser Mina'oser. Greater is the one who causes the performance of good deeds. There's a powerful Gemara in Brachos, Daf Yudzayin Amaralev, which extols the remarkable Mesiras Nefesh dedication and devotion of Jewish women that independent of their own study of Torah, the Talmud says how great is their reward because they wait. A, they encourage their husbands to go and learn. And they wait for them to return. And one could argue the husbands are at least involved in the exciting study of Torah. And the wives and mothers are oftentimes left alone. Alone with the children, alone without the companionship. But they are the mi'aser. They are literally the ones that are causing it to happen by their encouragement, by the manner in which their temperament, their excitement, their happiness, that this is what their husbands are doing. This is such an important aspect and contribution that these women make on behalf of not only their families, but on behalf of Klal Yisrael. What a very important message is being communicated to us at the very beginning of the parsha. Ve'atah, Moshe, Godol HaMi'aseh, Yoser Mino'oseh. And this applies to all of us that have the opportunity daily in our interaction with others, others who are not yet observant, others who are not yet appreciative of the very special gift of Shabbos and our Jewish tradition, by you sharing with them your excitement, you are literally fulfilling this aspect of greater is the one that gets others to do it than oftentimes those who do it themselves. It's a challenge to all of us, but one that we have to learn from our Rebbe, Moshe Rabbeinu. Shabbat Shalom to all. Prepare for Shabbos Kodesh Joy is in the air for Shabbos Kodesh Everyone with a soul aflame To meet the Shabbos Kodesh Everyone with a role to play To greet the Shabbos Kodesh A priceless gift A spiritual lift Everyone finds a way to assist Do whatever they can do For the Shabbos Kodesh A pleasure for the Jew Is the Shabbos Kodesh
Benny Friedman, Joy is in the Air. That's from his uh, brand new CD entitled The Shabbos with Benny Friedman. Twelve minutes before nine o'clock, JM in the AM. Naomi Nachman is next on our stream at jmtheam.org. Uh, the video is up, by the way. You could watch it uh, starting at nine o'clock. You'll see if you go to nachomsegel.com. Uh, Naomi is going to be live in her kitchen. In fact, we're calling it the Table for Two Home Edition. 
Uh, you'll hear it starting at 9 a.m. on jmnam.org. You'll see it starting at 9 a.m. Uh, on the homepage at nachumsegel.com. So check that out and enjoy. Naomi's getting set for an amazing show for today. Our Arab Shabbos music mix goes all the way until candle lighting. Mazal Tov to uh, the uh, Saturday Night Seagull Show. It turns five years old tomorrow night, 10 p.m. Eastern Time on the stream, jmnam.org. And that is, of course, Executive Assistant Avrami, who is hosting. Sunday, it's JM Sunday with Matis, beginning at 7 a.m. Eastern Time. It includes news from Israel and English and plenty more. Make sure to be tuned in starting Sunday at uh, 7 a.m. Eastern Time for Matis and JM Sunday at jmtheam.org. If you missed my conversation with Yitzchak Rosenthal yesterday, Shalshelis and its official brand-new music debut with Shalshelis Connections took place between 8 and 9 yesterday morning on our stream at jmtheam.org. Check it out in the archive section. Uh, at JMTM. It took place on the radio and on the stream. Check it out at jmtheam.org in the archive section. And this past Wednesday, by Yankee Horowitz, Project Yes, in a conversation that must continue here at JMTM, and please God it will, uh, gave a tremendous number of uh, parenting tips and observations about what's going on in our community. If you missed any of it, head to the archive section of jmtheam.org. He was here. The, he was actually on the phone this past Wednesday. Ten minutes before nine o'clock, JM in the AM with Mordechai Ben David. Oh, 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 oh,
More the Werdiger family, not just Mordechai Ben David from a Shabbos with the Werdigers, volume number one. JMNAM Friday, Erev Shabbos, Parshas Titzave, candle lighting at 5.01. A week from today will be Purim Katan. How do you like that? Time to say good Shabbos with Journeys at JMNAM. There's nothing left to do. 
Our brothers and sisters in Israel, we are with you. It's your favorite America's one and only Jewish moments in the morning radio program. Heard on listeners sponsored WFMU East Orange, WMFU Mount Hope. Rockland County at 91.9 on the FM dial. Around the world on the web, jmtheam.org. And that wraps up another great week for us here at JM and the AM. Naomi Nachman is next. Table for two. Home edition, literally from her kitchen. Coming up on jmtheam.org, you can watch the whole thing on the homepage of nachumsegel.com. Saturday night, Siegel tomorrow night with Avrami starting at 10 on our stream. Matt this Sunday morning between 7 and 9 with JM Sunday on the stream. Check out his Facebook page. It's called JM Sunday. He posts everything as it goes on all through Sunday morning show. Monday, we're back starting at 6 a.m., and I certainly hope you'll join us. Have a wonderful Shabbos, a great weekend. Till Monday, Nachum Siegel reminding you, remember to past, live the present, and trust the future.